Hey, I'm Jesse Latava Devotion, recovering some of the mountain peak topics that were brought to Paul's attention, perhaps through a message from the household of Chloe. And so he, topic by topic, just goes through the punch list that's provided to him. Yesterday we looked at the example of church discipline that comes up. And now in chapter six into chapter seven, this is another one of those kind of mountain peak moments. Looking at uh, looking at chapter six in the first six verses, we see that Paul was confronting them for being litigious and suing each other, giving this terrible testimony in front of non-believers looking on. Like it's better to just be wronged than it is to go to court with other believers. This kind of ties a thread from chapter five, like you already have the church discipline process. And that, by the way, never actually fails when it's properly used. It's catastrophic when it's messed up, but I've never seen the church discipline process actually fail when it is biblically properly followed. The fact that these guys are already suing each other means you're, it's already a defeat. You've already lost. You've already appealed to the greatest authority in your life, with, which evidently is the Roman government, <laughs> the city of Corinth for crying out loud, or in our case, like the government of Washington state. Like you're going to them to resolve your conflicts rather than, you know, each other according to God's standard. So it's already a loss. It's already a defeat. You've already lost here. And then it, this, this goes directly into, directly into the teaching about sexual morality. And he's reminding them, look, that's not who you are anymore. You're not a bunch of litigious little jerks that sue each other. When you do that stuff, when you have legal disputes against one another, you're, you're going back to your unrighteousness. And don't you know that the unrighteous don't inherit God's kingdom? Sound familiar? Here's chapter six, verse nine. Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So he goes from their litigiousness, just suing each other all the time, to remind them, look, that's not who you are anymore. You're not like that, you're, you're different now. You used to be idolaters, you used to be adulterers, you used to be males who have sex with males, you used to be thieves, you used to be greedy people, you used to be drunkards, you used to be verbally abusive people, you used to be swindlers, but now you've been washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And then this, this sets the stage for what follows in chapter seven. So he's not just giving a list of thou shalt nots, it's also a call to the biblical proper Remember we talked about in chapter 14, how you lay the stones and you can bring the fire because you're safely within the confines of biblical, the, the, uh, the biblical design. In chapter 70, it does the same thing, like lay the stones. It's for the context of a marriage between a man and a woman and let it burn and it's beautiful. And there's the most, some of the most clear instructions on how to enjoy God honoring sex in chapter seven. And he doesn't just speak to married people. He speaks to single people and divorced people and widowed people, single people called to celibacy, single people called to marriage, people who have been divorced. I mean, he, he speaks, it, there's, there's no stone left unturned. Every conceivable per permutation of marital status gets spoken to directly by the power of the Holy Spirit. I feel, I feel like this, this span from the end of chapter five into chapter seven is another mountaintop moment in 1 Corinthians 
when we look at chapter six, verses nine through 11, those are some of the most offensive verses in the Bible today. We look at them in context, like Paul's confronting the church, the Christians for falling back into these methods of unrighteousness and reminding them like, look, don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. Don't be a sucker. Like John, Dr. John Piper says, like, don't be a sucker. If you live your life marked by total unrighteousness, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's not who you are anymore. Now you've been washed, justified and sanctified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. So here's what you do. You don't sue each other. You don't go sleep with temple prostitutes all over Corinth. You don't do that stuff. Here's what you do. You're a husband and a wife. You don't divorce each other. You stay married to each other. You are intimate with one another alone. And if you are single, he, this is where he makes his pitch throughout chapter seven for like team single, team single. And he, cause he, he knows everybody's not like him. He's walking this tightrope wherein in the New Testament, we only have one command. This is command to love one another. And so he's careful not to add on another command, but every time he has the opportunity, being very clear that it's a concession, it's from him, not from the Lord, he'll say, yeah, but by the way, it's probably better if everybody's like I am, <laughs> which is single and celibate and dedicated to just the ministry. Uh, problem with that is that the human species doesn't survive one generation past the original recipients of 1 Corinthians, if in fact everybody were like Paul. So that's a big mountaintop moment to me. I didn't, we didn't get the chance throughout our sermon and the curriculum and the devotions to kind of look at all those collectively, but I do see that all as one contiguous train of thought and it makes it all the stronger really. When uh, you look at chapter six, verses nine through 11, that don't be deceived moment in what comes before it about church discipline, stop suing each other. Here's how sex is actually supposed to take place. And it's really, it's really amazing. It's the best model for the sex life ever described anywhere in chapter seven and, and it covers all of us. Uh, and then right at, the, right at the apex of that is this, look, don't be deceived. That's not who you are anymore. You've been washed, you've been justified, you've been sanctified. This is who you are now. That's so beautiful to me too, because evidently, I mean, if you had a church full of people who were going back into idolatry and were swindling each other, were being adulterous, were being verbally abusive to one another, were sleeping with temple prostitutes uh, of all genders, were uh, who were being sexually immoral. I mean, wow, that's pretty, that's a church in, in pretty bad shape. But Paul says, no, that's not the real you. That's the old you. And I think that a church that adopts this kind of approach is a church that will grow in our context today. I think it also harkens forward to what he's going to write uh, that we've now studied already in chapter 13. A church that is patient, a church that is kind, a church that is not self-seeking, a church that keeps no record of wrongs, a church that always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, a church that conquers all, a church that is marked by love in all things. It's profound to me because we hadn't yet gotten to chapter 13, but now as we look back here, we can see that Paul was being very loving to a lot of people who were, in, who were engaged in some really messed up behavior. Redemption Church and churches that use JCM materials, let's imitate that because it's beautiful. <laughs>